Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Welcome, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. We are here to learn with you, become the best habitat managers we can be, through the guests that we interview and the things that we learn together. Now, this week, awesome episode, a very fun episode. We have my good friends, Al Tomechko, Sam Carroza, and Brian Hallbly on the line. You've heard this group of um, guys on here before. We've gone over multiple things in the past. Today, we're talking about fall food plots and listener questions. So we had... A few listeners writing some questions that we you know, we put a post up on Facebook and Instagram this week in the chat group, Habitat Chat on Facebook. And uh, so we're going to hit some of those questions, get everybody's opinion, which is a great conversation. I truly enjoyed this this podcast. Uh, need to do more of these, um, more listener questions. So if you have questions, write in, send them in the email, info at habitatpodcast.com. If you have a question every now and then, send it in. You know, I'm not opposed to doing one of those and answering a question, you know, once a month, once a week, who knows when you can take those, but great, great podcast here, guys. We talk about fall food plots, um, different planting methods. It's funny. There's four of us on here. We've known each other for a long time. We've all been planting food plots for a long time and we still all do it a little bit differently. Um, so I kind of found that funny and, and entertaining listening to these guys tell their stories about the different, you know, different stuff they have, which I think is relatable because a lot of you guys all have different equipment too. So that's why this conversation is so great and this podcast is so much fun. Uh, and our listeners are the best because it's just a bunch of guys, you know, like you, like me, trying to learn how to do this, different ways to skin the cat. Um, speaking of fall food plots, I was out all last weekend. So I'm going up for a, a vacation for a little while with the kids camping. And uh, I decided to put my my fall food plots in. Well, I'm still planting one one today yet actually up at the northern 70 
um, on a fairly shaded power line. So I'm not sure how it's going to work. Like I'm planning that one still tomorrow, but last weekend, which had been like the 23rd, 24th, um, I planted down on the new lease property near my house. I don't know, four five, six different food plots, probably totaling two, three acres. And, um, man, we got the rain twice so far. And, um, I tell you what though, I hauled my quad and my packer out there. These guys, I haven't really hunted with them before. Um, and they like to rototill the ground. So all the dirt was tilled into a, a, a fairly fine powder. Uh, so the, having my packer max was key. Um, I was teaching these guys kind of how it works. You know, when it's six inches of, of fluffy sand, dirt, sand, uh, you know, I pack first, you know, pretty, pretty hard. And then I broadcast my seed and then I pack again. And that soil being so fluffy, um, you know, I was able to, you know, bury the seeds with my cultipacker by pressing them into the dirt uh, for the most part. So didn't even use a harrow drag or I'll even drag a wooden pallet behind my quad to cover up the, the seed sometimes. Didn't do any of that. Um, just assessing the situation based on what I had to do. And I packed it with a Packer Max HD unit with the, the roller crimper on top. I packed that, spread the seed and packed again. And then I ran back Sunday and um, finished a couple of vitalized plots as well by um, broadcasting and packing those into what was already packed the day before and then we got rain Sunday and we got rain yesterday, uh, Wednesday. And um, man, the Farmer's Almanac said Brassicas go in by the 27th of July. My my buddy Jordan always, he told me, sent me that. And I was like, hey, I'm going camping. I'm going to try it anyways. And boom, we got the rain. So man, thank God for that rain. Thank God for the rain yesterday. And, and hopefully again, soon up here, um, spring was just super tough. So if you guys are out there, I know fall food pots are on the mind right now. Um, get, you know, get that call to Packer. Lincoln's got them in stock over there in Grand Rapids. I'll ship them out to you right away. Um, HPC 25 saves you 25 bucks on any unit. And man, talk about moisture retention in a drought like summer. Uh, that that's huge. And, uh, yeah, check them out. Packermax.com link has been the very first sponsor and partner of this podcast and uh, a good friend of mine. And, um, yeah, I'd urge you guys if, uh, you're going to plant some fall food plots to make sure you pack that seed. And even if you're doing a throw and mow or a broadcast into a thatch and roller crimp over it, I still flip that crimper back over and pack it after it's been crimped. So check it out. Packermax.com. HPC 25 is your code. All right. Next, I want to get into it for United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties. Chad over there helped me sell the 15 acres. I was out there helping the new owner put some food pots in last week as well. And uh, man, am I a little bit sad I sold that property. It looks dynamite for, for this fall, but that's okay. It's it's already gone. I got to let that go. Um, just seeing all the old rubs and and uh, the water holes and the apples are all blooming. I have a bunch of pictures I'll share on our probably our podcast story, or maybe I'll try to make it a TikTok or something. I don't really even know how to do that, but um, the social media world is telling me I should. But if any of you know how to work TikTok, let me know and maybe I could use your help. But um, yeah, it was just really cool seeing that. But Chad and I got that, that property sold right off the bat and we are on the hunt for another parcel, um, looking all around, trying to get that next you know project. Uh, the more I think about it, I need a little bit bigger parcel for the kids and I to all hunt on. 
And then I just like the the project. I like the part. I like the doing the work. I like starting fresh with a clean slate, like up here at the Northern 70. Um, I just love it. So, you know, if you're looking to sell your property, give Chad a call. Um, UC Hunting Properties, Midwest Lifestyle Properties, the great team over there. Those guys uh, seem like a, a great resource. And then, you know, if you're looking to to buy one, Chad can also help you and help represent you as a buyer. Um, so check them out. That's Chad Thalen with Midwest Lifestyle Properties through United Country. All right, guys. Well, thanks to all the great reviews we've had. Um, please keep leaving those. I am sending out brand new five-inch Habitat Podcast decals to those who scroll down below this episode. Click the link to write a review on Apple iTunes. Five stars, something nice, and shoot me an email. Those have been awesome. I've been getting some emails from some guys recently. Um, you know, leaving reviews. So that's exactly what we what we're we're hoping for. Um, you know, so really just urge you guys, if you can, take two minutes and and leave us a review over there at, at habitatpodcast.com. I'm sorry, at Apple iTunes, where you listen to the Habitat podcast, because that is where we kind of trend, we kind of rate, and things come in there. So right now, a most recent one here by Jay Leemlin, great podcast. I learned so much about Habitat from this podcast and started using Vitalized Seed this spring and it's doing great. I look forward to seeing the new podcast every week. Speaking of that, um, I've been a little hit or miss on my launch dates recently, but we're getting that figured out. I'm having some some help, some professional help by uh, my buddy Lucas. So we're going to get this thing figured out to where we're launching consistently on a weekly basis. And uh, you guys don't have to wait a couple extra days here and there because you know, we're busy as crap and trying to get everything going, but we're going to make that happen for you. So um, thanks, Jaylene Lynn. Appreciate that. We will get you a decal. Here's another one. Big Buck Hunter. No, I think I already read that one. Here's another one right here. Shiitake Creek. I've been a fan of this show for years, and now it's a solid listen every week. Consistent and pertinent info as always. Jared, Brian, and Al are awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Guys. It doesn't take much to scroll down and leave a review. Um, we just, it helps us quite a bit. I'll send you a decal. Reach out at info at habitatpodcast.com with your address. I'll get one in the mail. Thank you very much to those who have done it so far. All right. I want to thank First Light, Downburst Cedars, Acres.com, Morse Nursery, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Vitalize Seed Company. Guys, I got a pretty awesome video I'm going to post up. Um, my buddy Andy was down with Doug from Downburst Cedars, trying out one of the new cedars, and man, it's pretty cool. So more to come. Uh, thanks so much for listening. As we become better habitat managers together, I truly appreciate you guys listening. And uh, let's get into it now. Fall food plot talk and plans to hunt and listener questions. Thank you those for to those who wrote in the listener questions. We truly appreciate it. All right, we're on. Let's go. Well, Sam, if you have your wife putting your kids to bed, um, I'm in the same boat. I have my wife putting my kids to bed because we have a very important podcast tonight. So good on you. That's what I told her. Important <laughs> stuff to take care of tonight. Kissing babies and shaking hands. <laughs> yep. How are you guys? Doing good. Good. Doing well. What did you do at the farm today, Sam? 
I almost dehydrated myself to death and uh, <laughs> sweat out about 20 pounds of sweat. But um, no, I just uh, tried to get some some fields mowed and sprayed and, you know, getting everything prepped and ready to rock. Changed out a few cards just because I was driving past them. You might as well. So um, just normal stuff, getting ready for the planting season. You're not running all all cell cams on the farm yet? I've got five cell cams and four regular cams, I believe. So, so you're getting there. We, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't buy any new cell cams this year, though, so I'm pretty proud of myself. But Wow. The year is young. The year That's, is right. Young. That's right. Exodus 15% has percent off. Yeah. Yep. yep. Use code HP. Yeah. I'm already uh, paying a hefty monthly data plan to Exodus every every month. So me too. I think I'm covered for now with the solar panels, with everything, you know, the whole nine yards, you got to go all in with the solar panels if you're going to do it. So that's right. I, I'll tell you what, man, um, shameless plug or not. I had my camera go for a year. Yeah. With the uh, regular batteries, energizer, regular and the solar panel. So um, I set it back up on Sunday. I had some nice pictures of some velvet deer at this new, new lease I'm on. And then today, a raccoon or possum knocked it kind of downward angle on the bracket that's on, and now I'm looking at the ground. So nice. So much for <laughs> the low intrusion, huh? Dude. Like <laughs> setting myself up for a you know a week camping trip with the kids, you know, getting things ready, and then now I have to go back in there. But yep. Love yeah, hate relationship with cell cams. Yeah. Yep. But at least you know it's screwed up versus going back there in three months and not knowing it's screwed it's up. Good right? point. Good point. There's pros and cons. And my wife just marched outside for the third time to the vehicle. So hopefully those kids are going down nice. But you're working. Sam, let's hear about who you are, where you're from, real quick, guys. If you haven't heard about Sam Carosa, Al Tomechko, Brian Hallbly. Um, maybe you're new to the podcast, but these are kind of our, our core group of Habitat guys from the QDMA forums way back when. I don't know how many years that is now. Um, Sam, what was your handle on there? Do you remember? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. I think it was just Sam 16, which is crazy. Really? I think I started that when I was 16 years old. I'm 36 now, so <laughs> years of wow doing this nonsense. So no kidding. Yep. Yours was Van He's something, right? Yeah, I think it was Jay Van He's because I'm just as creative as you are. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was 16. Give me a break. You were 16. How old are you now? 36. Oh, yeah, you said that. So 20 years? You've been on there for what 10, 12 years before they shut that down? Probably. Maybe even yeah. more. I don't know what year it shut down, but yeah, me neither. I started on the real tree forms. I don't know if you guys were on that, those, and then jumped no. over to QMA. So I was I was big on the bow site, and then they had the local state uh, forums, the PA bow site, and then no. uh, I jumped on to the QDMA when they started that one. Do you remember what time they shut that down, Brian? What year? Oh man, five years ago, maybe. At least, well, it was right least. before you started the podcast, Jared. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought so, but I, I can't remember. Sam, you were on there. You're in Illinois. Brian was on there. Brian, you were like a stick bow craftsman or something, right? Stick bow crafter. Yep. 
there it back is. Back in the day when I used to have time to build bows and kill stuff with them. Yes, sir. And then we have we have Albert. He was uh he was soil soil nerd. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I don't, Not really. I don't you were like Buck Hunter AT or Buck Hunter 10 or Buck yeah, Hunter. I either was I was gonna say it was either AT 10 10 or Buck Hunter 10. I think it's Buck Hunter 10. But then I yeah, yeah, because I've been on quite a few different ones, but I I mostly like Brian. I was on the Ohio Outdoors, which I'm still active on there. Um and then habitat talk, but not till after the QDMA shut down because a lot of the guys went there. There's been a lot of good guys over there. Um, that's a good form still. And then um, Michigan Sportsman is a good form. There's a lot of good information, good guys there that I I'd uh, post in one thread, but I kind of just lurk and read. And there's a lot of really good good stuff and good information and good guys doing all sorts of fishing and hunting and stuff. So um, those are three that I'm still pretty you know relatively active on whether it's reading or actually posting yeah michigan sportsman has, has been a good site for shoot a long time yeah. a lot of diehard guys in there that kind of don't really give it give it up to the facebook they just stay on there and stay out of the drama maybe um maybe not but... <laughs> there's no drama online come on that's <laughs> brian <laughs> yeah yeah I love, I love it when i'm on my phone and I, I get Facebook message uh, like notifications, and one of them says, "Brian, like, are you kidding me?" You no, know, I'm like to to somebody else. I'm like, "Oh boy, here we go." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's let's incredible. just let's just give the guy the benefit of the doubt. It was probably an honest mistake, and I didn't really say too much. But like, uh, yeah, something like that. Are are you kidding? Are you are you? Or, no, I said. Um, tell me you're joking around because sometimes people will joke around like oh yeah. what are you planting invasives and honest mistake on his part probably yeah no i'm not trying to call anybody out it's just the battle <laughs> of the internet right so there's, yep. there's yep. the habitat chat group with 4700 people on there you're going to get some some interesting comments now and then but you know what i want and and you were posting some of your habitat related stuff you were doing recently so you know you've been you're out of Pittsburgh area, but you, you know, you're on the, the vitalized farm down there with Al in, in Ohio. Um, what have you been doing habitat wise? I want to start this out with kind of like what we've been doing project wise, you know, these days um, stuff's ramping up for fall. So let's hear about it from each of you. And then uh, I have some listener questions coming after that, that it will, I will uh, randomly throw at you guys and, and chime in myself and we'll see if we can help some people out. Sounds good. Yeah. So what have you been doing, Brian, the last couple of days where you were uh, posting stuff up? Yeah, so recently I started digging out my cameras, um, trying to get those all ready. Uh, sad to say, in, in a hurry last year, I left some batteries in a couple of them, and uh, a couple, couple of them leaked because I didn't have lithiums in them like I should have. But uh, a little bit of vinegar and a Q-tip um clean cleaned up the terminals and put the new batteries in and they were ready to go so got that squared away and um made some mock scrapes uh, i was pretty cool i put some of that smokies out i think about 2 p.m and then had a trail cam picture of a doe working it like three hours later 
So that's pretty cool to see them coming in and, and working that. So uh, got some mock scrapes, um, checking food plots, checking exclusion cages, um, move some other cameras around, just trying to key in on some of the mature bucks we got. Going to try to start getting them patterned and, uh, you know, not not super worried about where they're at right now because they're a lot of them are going to shift a little bit, but just trying to keep tabs on what we got and kind of make, make a plan for the fall. And Brian, you, you mentioned something there, mock scrapes, which I guess I said I was going to get into later, but um, Lawrence, our land plan client, he was asking exactly how we make our mock scrapes. And um, while we do send those directions in every one of our land plan client notes, we've never really shared it, I guess, publicly and how we, we all make our own mock scrapes. Maybe we said it in passing and whatnot, but Maybe that's the first way to round this off, boys. How do you guys make your own mock scrapes? I know I have my certain way. Um, you just mentioned Smokies. Let's, let's talk about it. Brian, start us off. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, start. sure. Um, I I like to take a rake with me, depending on where I'm at. Um, you can use your boot, obviously, and kick that up. It takes a little longer. So I just threw a rake in the side by side. This past weekend, uh, I used the Smokies pre-orbital put up on the branches. Uh, also used some of the inner digital to put down in the dirt. Um, we try to make them as big as possible. Uh, I think, Jared, you like to call it a like the big as a car hood or a truck hood, um, just to give that visual. And then I think you use buck fever or something. I use Smokies, just whatever, whatever you have confidence in, whatever you like, put a little bit of scent on there, get it, get them attracted to it and, and get them working it. Um, I like to use, um, put it on oak branches or uh, beach. The Ohio deer really like to scrape under beach for some reason. Uh, both of those trees will hold their leaves into the rut. So that scent will stay on there with the leaves and the and the branches and uh yeah just try to put them in you know community areas where you have some terrain features coming together or maybe a thermal hub or uh just a couple of uh well-used trails that come together just you know great place to put a cell camera great place to hunt if you get a, a mature buck that's uh every once in a while you'll get one that really likes one it'll start daylighting there early so just uh, pretty simple to do. Just rake it out, put your scent on, and uh, put up a camera. I like that. Um, Sam, how about you? Anything different? Anything that you do? Yeah, I uh, do a couple different things. First of all, I was I was out mowing on the farm today, and on all the field edges, I try and, you know, I sacrifice my face and just get hit by <laughs> limbs and you know i'm just trying to mow under every single hanging limb out out in the, the fields that you know we're planting food plots in and everything uh you know it's, it stinks when you get a thorn to the face once in a while but i mean that's that's the quickest way to make a bunch of them real quick you know set those limbs make them clear underneath underneath those limbs and, and just do nothing let them do the work but um i've also started putting out the uh rope scrapes as well that was last year was the first time doing that um you know, getting as big as big a hemp rope as you possibly can. Um, and then I tie off, you know, so it's about waist to chest high somewhere in there. And last year I was just kind of letting 
the deer figured out themselves and it was a little bit slow for them to adapt to it. I got some cool videos of, of a couple bucks hitting the, the, the scrapes and everything. But this year I actually took what I think it was Jay Gregory who said the um, buck butter. Yeah. Black widow or something, right? Yeah, I picked some of that up and tried it on a couple of the rope scrapes. So just put that out today too. So we'll see if that changes anything. But, um, you know, I've used the drippers in the past and stuff like that. And you never know. I always am, am skeptical of those just because you never know if it all pours out and in uh, one day or what. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I do. I, I I probably create more with the bush hog than anything. You know, back in the bush hog up to good good limbs as well, and let let nature take over from there. So yeah, it's kind of like that. If you walk a cornfield in October, you know every oak branch is hanging out there. It's going to be yeah. hit. So if you make that that oak branch stick out, then then they're gonna they're gonna hammer it, you know. I mean, a lot of these oak branches just have or whatever branches. It doesn't have to be oak, but oak is great. You know, they have weeds up waist high, and those deer don't want to paw through waist high weeds. So you make it clear for them, and they do the rest, you know. Al, what about you? Do you find ropes work for you in your area, or how do you set yours up? I've never used the ropes. I mean, I'm sure they would work. Um, I've just honestly kept it pretty traditional just like where i know a deer has scraped pretty much every year you know it like sam said it's on a field edge or it's along a ridge you know an oak ridge and there's a tree or two that sticks out that's not as tall as the rest of the canopy right so it's kind of like oh there's a four foot tall red pine in a sea of you know mostly oaks like i guarantee you they're gonna they're gonna have a scrape underneath it um so if i want to get a scrape going then uh, if I have some lure or whatnot, you know, I'll use it. Um, if not, I just make it with my boot and, you know, take a leak into it and put a camera up on it. And that's pretty much it. And uh, I've had really good success. I mean, really, really good success getting um, photographs that way. Um, you know, the buck I killed last January, so it was, they weren't really hitting scrapes. But where I killed that deer, there was a huge scrape under an old apple tree, like five foot wide by two foot. And um, that at property, it's funny because we, I was looking at my phone just now because uh, a buddy of mine who we hunt that property together sent me this buck. And I'm like, dude, that's that real wide one that was sitting. He's like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I'm like, no, hold on. So I had to go find the video because I took a video of that deer underneath that apple tree, like November 17th last year as a three-year-old. Um, and he looks really nice this year. So anyways, my point is like on that one, they were already rubbing that like every year or excuse me, scraping under it. Um, there, there were a lot of rubs along there too. So I just opened it up, um, the last, I don't know, two years, probably, um, around this time, or maybe a little bit later, a little closer to season and, um, put a little bit of lure in there or whatnot and hang camera. It's been, been pretty, pretty good technique. You have a certain lure that you use? Besides Al Tomechko's bush light best? Um, no, I, I have. I mean, I'm, I I just am not educated enough on it, honestly. So I've just kind of went off, off the shelf and stuff. But I would definitely be more interested in trying, because um, I'm sure there's a ton of science stuff that goes into it. I just am not well educated enough. So I've just kind of tried sure. whatever I bought off the shelf. And I can't say I've ever used one that I bought off the shelf that I felt was superior. Um, you know, but again, I, I don't know how, how old it was or whatnot. So I would definitely be interested in trying some of like the more premier 
um, products that are out there, like uh, Jay Gregory was talking about or whatnot, and, and see. Um, so maybe this year I'll try more of that. I just feel like some of those products differentiate themselves by the consistency. You know, when you put three ounces of liquid down and then it rains right after that, how long is that really effective? You know, but that buck butter is a little bit more like a gel. I've used those powders before. I, you know, like you said, Al, I don't know if there's a, a huge difference between the two, but what I really want to see is the experiment that Al does with his bush light urine versus his whiskey urine versus <laughs> and see if there's tails running away on your cameras and on the uh water yeah i i think that that one one common denominator that we all hit there um was making it obvious right for for the deer so if there's any tips for the folks that, who are listening may have not you know dove dove into this mock scrape thing before uh we make them the size of a car hood you know al said he saw one under an apple tree that's five foot just to get them started we we go above and beyond just to make it obvious you know the deer if you rode until a field the deer can smell that right they're always there the next day you make a big five foot mock scrape i assume they can smell that um put some some lure up there and by the way we're not sponsored by any lure that we've just named in this podcast but point is make it to where they can't miss it and you're better off um in michigan i don't think ropes work um i was just i'm I'm joining a new lease by my house with a couple guys uh from the motivated to hunt crew nice nice dudes cool spot and they had some ropes there and and i asked them how they work and they're like screw these ropes they suck they don't work (laughs) where like illinois they work to a to a t yeah so i think it's it's different different strokes in, in different areas um i like to hang an oak branch in michigan uh beach brian great point on the beach um we have a ton of beach here up north and they definitely scrape under the beach so that would be actually another one i didn't think about that could work perfectly for that but well, I think um, any any branch that's going to hold hold its leaves which is beach oh yeah is it's going to have more surface area to hold scent and, and everything like that and it's going to hold it all year so when they're rubbing their their glands on it or whatnot i think um and there's like that visual too later in the year when everything else falls you have that one hanging so um yeah i would agree with brian i've definitely seen a lot under under beach um and, uh, i'm sure white oak branch will work really well also and jared you said make it obvious i've even gone as far and, and this is not a novel idea i stole it from somebody but just going around identifying the one big scrape branch that you want the, the bucks to be hitting within bow range and then taking the rest of the field and cutting off everything else that could be scraped on, you know, just make them focus on where you want them. So. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good tip for sure, Sam, you know, if there's a hundred scrapes, what makes them scrape underneath your tree stand in 25 yards? Right. Um, Brian and I, and our plans will, we'll have a mock scrape again, I guess another free tip, a mock scrape at every single stand location. And I said that this weekend and some of the guys were surprised and, and I'm, it's, it's to me, it's second nature. You have to have one um, in the right position because what's to say that buck comes at 25 yards or 45 yards at a different scrape, what have you. Those drippers, I didn't always use those, but I've been using those recently um, just to see if there was a difference. I think there may be a difference, but I'm not positive on that yet. Still jury on that jury out on that. But I think that, uh, you know, having a good wide open scrape upwind of your stand 
Hopefully they can't get downwind to your stand 60, 70 yards. Hopefully you're set up on a, on, you know, a Creek bank or something where they can't circle you downwind too often, but having that opportunity, you, you know, that focal point, if you will, is important to us for sure. Yeah. Sam, what else were you doing at the farm today? You said it was like 99 degrees. <laughs> it, like it, got up to, it got up to about 95 today. So I was, I was, but um, yeah, today was just mowing some plots and spraying some plots. Um, a lot of my bigger projects have been taken care of this year. So now it's just getting the fall plots ready to go. Um, I mean, you guys know we've been getting our teeth kicked in by this drought all spring and summer long. And it uh, seems like we're right back to drought conditions. I just checked the next 10 days or 90, 92 plus and not a drop of rain in sight. And our creeks and ponds are already down real low. So it's made this, made the... Uh, habitat improvements a little bit tougher this year. I mean, I planted 20 fruit trees and I think about half of them made it, which I've never had success rates that low this year. Um, you know, I planted, planted the nitro boost and um, that never even took off out of the ground. You know, it just never got the rain for a month straight. So we've been struggling a little bit, but um, you know, there's still deer there. They, they learn to survive anyways. And it's just us complaining. Luckily the farmers got enough rain where their crops are looking good who cares about my deer plots at this point but well uh, we do so like do, but... <laughs> how are you how are you planning on on planting your fall plots what method are you are you going through we had a couple of listeners talk about you know different methods you know i'm, I'm curious each yeah. uh, four of us i bet we all have slightly different methods and how we're how we're planting this fall so well i'm still a caveman that discs and cult packs <laughs> Okay. So, there you go. Um, I'm sure that's what the majority of the people are doing it just because. Yeah. I wouldn't you know, call it caveman. I would call it convenient to the equipment that you have. Yeah. The way it's been done for years and years before grain drills became popular. But um, yeah, that's, that's how I've been doing it. And um, you know, like I said, going back to last fall, we struggled with, with moisture. I mean, most of my plots were dirt plots last year and I know that disking, you know, doesn't help that situation, but what I've kind of decided to do this year is diversify as best I possibly can. Instead of putting all your eggs in, bas in, in the basket of Labor Day weekend, you're getting all your plots in. And rain or shine, we'll see what happens. We'll leave it up to Mother Nature. What I'm trying to do this year is, is get a third of my plots in the clover, you know, get that established. Um, then I'm going to also spread out my planting time. So it doesn't really matter what you plant as far as, I mean, most, most, mixes have brassicas in them so i'm going to try to get some planted early you know hopefully they get the big bulbs get a little bit more mature i kind of think of that as my my winter food right and then uh it's a little bit less palatable early on and then i'm going to wait a couple maybe three weeks and and go back in right before the start of september and do the exact same thing um just to you know if, if you don't catch that rain with the first first one at least you have an insurance policy that you got your second one following right up so that's kind of what I've been trying to do this year. Um, that's why I was out getting everything mowed, everything sprayed. You know, half the plots were getting mowed and they get, they get sprayed later on. Those will be my later plots. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully Mother Nature is a little bit more kind to us than she has been over the last 12 months here. So not, not a bad idea diversifying yeah. your, uh, your program there. Um, Al, how about you? How are you guys planning? You and Brian? I guess maybe I can ask the question to both of you at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be primarily no-till drill. Um, I mean, that's fortunate awesome. to have it. Yeah, it took a long time to, to get it, um, like 15 years. And 
Um, we will be drilling in, I don't know, 15 to 20 acres, I would say roughly. There will be some broadcast. You know, there's some areas where we'll be doing broadcast. Um, for termination, I mean, it's going to really vary on the field. Um, on fields where we don't have to use herbicide, we'll drill through it and um, probably run. Like, I got a new, I don't know, I think it's, Brian, what is that drag? Is it six foot wide by six foot long? Yeah. Yep. It's heavy as hell. I don't know. It's got to be like 200 pounds. Are you dragging the vitalizing with that on the uh, broadcast method? So I'm not on the, I won't have the, um, the tips down, you know, so just the flat side. So the okay. drill lays it down, almost looks like it's crimped, uh, like a roller crimper. Um, but, you know, your sorghums and things like that might pop up. So if you do a couple laps with that, um, with that Harrow drag, I'm real interested in trying that to see if that doesn't add just enough weight to break a lot more of those stems. Um, obviously with the no-till drill, you're fortunate to your seeds under the ground, it's at a half inch depth, you're ready to rock there. So that's just being used to just smash, basically smash down um, that veg that nitro boost, that above ground vegetation. Um, on some of the smaller areas where we're gonna be uh, broadcasting, um, unless we have time, which that's always limited, we'll probably just um, do a burn down, you know, spray it, let it dry, come back and seed into it. I've done that for years. I don't even have to roll it, pack it, anything. I mean, that helps if you have the time. Um, but, you know, it's when, when you're trying to get as much food planted as possible in a three to four day window, um, not every single field is going to be like perfect. So on some of those, I mean, we'll spray them, let it dry, and then uh, go back broadcast into it and just let, you know, pray for rain. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other methods. I mean, that'll be the primary methods on the farm. Um, you know, I have a couple other properties I plant on as well. Um, and, you know, I did a lot of videos on that. I'll probably continue to try to do some different techniques just to show guys, you know, some guys say, hey, I want to till like, well, here, here's a way to do conservation tillage, right? And just barely scrape that surface, um, maintain moisture. It acts as a, as a termination method for the crops that are already there. Um, here's a way to, you know, do a throw and mow or, you know, here's a general herbicide and, and spray type of method. So I'll probably continue to do some of those, um, you know, more for kind of show and tell. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my, my plan. Um, I don't know, Brian, is there anything else that I didn't, that I kind of missed on? No, you, I think you covered everything that we've got going on at your place. And um uh, just around here in southwest Pennsylvania around my house I've got some smaller plots on some permission pieces basically just like a poor man plot backpack sprayer getting it killed off and then coming back and broadcasting like Al said I don't I don't call it a pack or anything you you should if you have one and and you have the time but um, I have real good luck usually those smaller plots as long as you get a good burn down and get the the uh, seed spread out as long as you have rain, you're going to be fine. Yeah, that's a bunch of great methods so far. I, I think um, what I'll add to it, Al, you mentioned throw and mow. Um, we had a, our listener, Rich Wilkie, reach out, ask us if, you know, if we ever done throw and mow. I had just completed that task on Friday at the 15 acres. The new owner, uh, Tom, I was out there helping him get fall plots installed. And um, 
we did throw on mow on on the vitalize out there and then we got followed by two rains so we had a mower and we were taking advantage of the nitro boost that was already in the ground broadcasted the carbon load mowed over it packed over it we we're done fertilize as well and um that's a, a good method that method has been around for a long time we're not we're not teaching new methods here when we say throw and mow uh qdma forums that was huge on there but point is whatever equipment you have and you can make work go ahead and do it now this other the new pl the property that i was on um we had a, a forestry mulcher come out there and mow into a swamp and mow paths through these you know automotive thickets and this and that i just broadcasted vitalized out the front of my quad with that salt that atv salt spreader for the guys who plow snow uh and then my my packer max behind me just rolling over it through the through the the new paths mulch dirt whatever i'm sure we won't get 100 germ but we'll get we'll get a bunch of fresh black dirt with seed packed into it uh followed by a rain so you know whatever you can do there's multiple ways to skin the cat i guess is what i'm long-windedly trying to say so it's funny we have we have four of us who've been friends for quite a long time now and we still all do things in a different freaking way <laughs> you know so it's well, pretty I think the biggest thing though between all of those methods that we talked about is knowing the property in which you're planting and then understanding you know what we get a lot of questions that vitalize about uh, what's my seeding rate? You know, what should my rate be? And kind of going back to like well, Sam's point one, if you have a drought, you know, throw that first seeding rate out the window, but also understanding your deer density, um, understanding your soil fertility, understanding your planting method, um, or at least trying to. And then, you know, as you do it year over year over year over year, um, you should get better at it. You know, you should, should get a better understanding of to okay, here's, you know, what I want to put down. Here's how much, here's why. And it might be, you know, it might adjust. I know um, I use this example a lot. I tell people, it's like neighborhoods change. Farms get sold, you know, people pass away. Farms get broken up. Sometimes farms expand, like hunters come in, hunters move out. Like neighborhood, it's a very fluid thing. So your deer densities can change as well. Um, so you might plant 10 acres, of food 10 years ago and feel like, holy cow, I got more food than you can shake a stick at. And you might plant 10 acres tomorrow and you look inside the exclusion fence and there's three foot difference, you know, by, by time hunting season comes around. So because of that, I always tell people you have to kind of adjust those seeding rates. So a good example, I had a forestry mulcher come in on a really, it's a pretty large food plot. Um, and then we come in and cut out a couple more uh, acres with that forestry mulcher and not going to run the no-till drill through there. It's not mulched up well enough um, to really get it. So there's a few options. One would be to get a tiller in there, till it all under, fit. The, that would be great, but it's just not an option for us due to timing. So what are we going to do? Well, we're probably going to seed it, you know, a 50% increase Abby. because we know we're seeding into... A basically mulch you know it's like seeding into a playground you know so um so yeah so those are things i think that people can can try to realize that um you know you want to be careful because too much of a good thing isn't a good thing either especially with you know mixes with a lot of brassicas in them but try to think about some of those things when you're planting your food plots um and for anybody who's not doing it get an exclusion fence up because it's going to tell you a ton about what's actually staying what you're actually growing 
versus what's walking off that field. Yeah, great point. Great point. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to be uh, seeding heavy um, in my carbon carbon plots here this year. I what I, what I'm going to do is I, I think I'm just going to get a 50 pound bag of winter rye and just kind of overseed after I after I throw the vitalize down. I feel like that will take some browse pressure off. It's uh, it's not going to crowd the brassicas like you said, Al. So I think that's the the way to go about it with my deer density and you know just as a insurance policy. So. Yeah, and you have such a high deer density. Yeah. You know, and I get that, that question asked all the time. They're like, hey, we love your one two system, you know, but do I need to do this? I'm like, you don't need to, you know, no, you don't need to, unless you know, you know, you know that the deer are, are like in your area, what do you see? 30, 40 does sometimes in a night, like in an alfalfa. Like that's a really high deer density. There's not yeah. a there's not a lot of the Midwest is a high deer density, but not that high. And right. so for your situation, yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense to add, you know, a little bit um, more, you know, to fill those gaps. And a lot of times too, I tell guys with, with finalized guys will have, a, you know, let's say a one acre food plot, high deer density, one acre food plot. It's the only shop in town. Maybe it's a big wood setting. I'm like, well, buy you know, if you want, buy an acre and a half and seed, because they're broadcasting, an acre and a quarter, and then save that other quarter acre and come back at two, three, four weeks, yep. whatever your schedule allows, and then fill the gaps with that. And here's a good thing, is if it, if you don't use it, not that I don't want people to buy seed again the next year, but it's like, it ain't going to go bad. You might lose a little bit of germ rate, but save that bag, tape it up, write on it, you know, the year, keep it in a cool, dry place and use that as your overseed next year, you yeah. know, to touch those spots up. I mean, there's so many different ways to skin that cat, but I think that um, those are some things that people need to just keep in mind for, um, you know, the, the deer density thing, I think it's overlooked quite a bit, quite a bit. And I, I can tell you even, even with having a, you know, no-till drill and drilling it in, I've had fields where I got to them and I'm like scratching my head going, holy cow, how did this field fail? Like I'm totally bummed about it. And then I go over and look at that exclusion fence and there's a foot and a half difference. And you're like, man, that didn't fail. It just, the deer ate it that fast, you know? And that it, it, if you yeah. didn't have that on there, you would absolutely be like, man it, there must be a fertility problem here these radishes are are only two inches it's not a soil fertility problem it's just a, a deer number um problem or size of the food plot problem or maybe a mixture of both i was gonna blame it on the seed but okay all right. <laughs> say, i'm cussing out vitalize all the time yeah. <laughs> all right i have a question for you boys um brian what habitat improvements can be done to a gas line I know you've done this personally, so I'm asking you. Um, I have one that goes through my Northern Michigan 40. This is from Billy Gutowski on Instagram. So that's a dreaded answer. It depends, right? That well, we're likes. gonna have that, yeah. But um, the the width of it's very important. We've had some some really narrow ones down in Southern Ohio that just don't get enough sunlight, and it's tough. Um, you, if you're able to edge feather that and open that up a little bit more, you can plant, you know, just about whatever you want. Um, in Al's situation, some of the power lines and the gas lines that go through his farm 
are, you know, 50, 80 yards wide in some places. No problems with sunlight, no problems with, you know, anything you want to plant. So just keep that in mind. You, you want to make sure there's enough sunlight getting on there. Um, if, if, you're, if, if you own the property and you're able to edge feather it, um, I highly suggest doing that. It'll do a couple of things, obviously, get more sunlight, like I said, and uh, give those deer a soft edge that, you know, they're not going from that mature timber into an open field because those bucks will just stop and look down that whole power line. They could see there's no does out there and they'll just go on to the next spot. Whereas if you have that soft edge, they got to weave through in and out of there and spend more time trying to see what's out in that plot. And, and do you have to um, check permission with anybody? I know I've checked with my Northern Michigan people on the, on the Northern 70 here, and they were also okay with plots and, and everything along those lines. Uh, have you ever run into any issues, anybody here with doing something? I don't know. Normally, if it's not a tree or anything like that, if it's a low-growing crop, you're you're good to go. But yeah, that's a good point. Definitely check, and you could even call. I know Al does this. Let them know, hey, don't mow this section. We're planting crops here, and they're they're real good about not coming in and chopping everything up that you got planted. Yeah, I mean, if you own the property, you don't like you own the property. They have an easement and stuff like that, but I mean. They want to keep you happy as a property owner because the last thing they want is a big headache and, you know, protesters or whatever, right? So they want you to be happy. So like I've had amazing experiences where, you know, one year, I don't know, I had a guy bush hog where I didn't really want him to. It was my fault. I, I should have reached out. Since then, like I have the guy's cell phone number who manages all of the groups, all of the maintenance, all the mowing. You know, I have everything's gated, fenced, double gated where it needs to be. Um, you know, they tell me a week before if they're going to mow. Um, I'm trying to think, like, I'll send them pictures of Onyx with maps. Hey, this is all planted. Don't even bother sending a guy over there because it's all planted. You know, they're fine. Really? As long as you're actually planting it and you're not having, like, trees regenerate, they don't, they'll leave you alone. They, they really do help you out. Um, you know, but all of that to say, you also don't want to do something that's going to be super expensive because if they have to get in there, they're going to get in there. And they're going so, to kill it. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll either mow it or if they have to dig up the pipeline or, and they're running another line or whatever, like they have to get in there. So if you have six acres and you put it in wildflower mix and it's, you know, $180 an acre, whatever it is, cost to plant it, $200 an acre. I don't even know what it is. Like just that's cool. And you might get 10 years out of it. Never a problem, but just keep that in mind. God forbid, if something happens, they have to get in there. Um, they're going to. So it's probably best to just stick with like annual, annual crops or like a perennial clover or something like that, that, um, wouldn't be that big of a hit to the pocketbook if they had to get in there. Great tips, both of you guys. Sam, anything to add? Yeah, I've never had to deal with a um, with the gas way, but one thing I would say is anytime you're dealing with those long, narrow plots or you know a gas line, is you're going to have a lot more leeway if if the gas line runs north to south. I mean, the sun's just going to you're going to get way more sunlight if you got one that's going east to west, and there's you know it's pretty narrow with pretty mature trees. Good luck getting any sunlight 
in there. You know, it's it's going to be shaded out for ninety percent of the day, pretty much. So, um, just something to think about. I always think about that with little little tiny narrow plots like that. So, yeah, I, I would agree to your point and Brian's point. Um, I thought the east to west would have been more beneficial. I have a narrow food plot here at the northern seventy where I just got to tonight. And uh, that, yeah, the sunlight is just not getting down there like I hoped it would. It's only probably five or six yards wide. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like It's not 80 yards wide, 50 yards wide. It's narrow through a pine, uh, red pine, tall red pine. So to your point, you got to have that sunlight. You got to yeah. have the width. You got to have the, the exposure. Um, so, yeah, great, great question, guys, or, or answers, guys, for this question. I have another one for you guys. What's everyone's favorite late season post rut food plot source? Late season post rut food plot source. It's from Tyler Castang. If there's a mature buck that made it through season, what's he looking to recover from the rut? What's your go-to food plot? Late season, post rut, mature deer trying to kill. This might be a Sam question considering he did this last year. <laughs> I did. Um, and you know, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. You know, you follow the jury, jury guys, they have their 13 or whatever. And they say after that post rut, they it's green revisited. And uh, I've heard that from some other people. And um, it seems like that early December, mid-December, seems like brassicas are, are hot, you know, before the snow starts piling up. Um, seems to be, you know, very palatable at that point. Those bulbs are really, really valuable, really attractive. Um, but once you get into January or late December, once you start getting some snow on the ground, I can't think of anything that would beat standing soybeans in my area. I mean, that's, that's the goal. I, unfortunately, I don't think I have any areas large enough on my farm to get soybeans going without putting a electric fence on there. Um, but if I could, that would be, that would be the ticket right there. I mean, I've, I've sat in some standing soybean fields and just seeing deer flock in at two o'clock not not in a half hour before it gets dark it's three hours before it gets dark and they they don't leave you know so um that's what i would say great answer and when you say that you don't even think you have the room at at your farm what's what's your largest area that you consider not being large enough the largest area that i have of continuous field that I could potentially put in is a, a two and a half acre field on my east side. And it's just kind of a winding plot. You know, it's not a big square and I just feel like it would get destroyed. I, um, I've planted a, an acre and a half at, at a previous farm before and it did get destroyed. I had an exclusion fence out there and you wouldn't even know that there was soybeans planted outside the fence and the, inside the fence, they were, you know, up to, they were up to my chest. It was, it was incredible. So acre and a half definitely not enough and that was a lower deer density than what i have here so yeah i wonder what that would do in different parts of the country like up here in northern michigan i still think i would need a couple acres uh to you know yeah you, you're gonna suck in everything from everywhere if there's no ag around so that's interesting right right and as a matter of fact the, the year we bought the farm is the 12 acres alfalfa field was in soybeans and um the farmers, I called the farmer after the season. I said, are you going to farm it again? He says, heck no, I can't get anything off that 12 acres. No chance. And I, you know, in July we went to see the farm and all the soybean plots were about knee high and just stem sticking up. They're all 12 acres. I've never seen anything like it. So 
yeah, my two and a half wouldn't work. I'm waiting for Al to chime in here with um, a comment does. that that is three <laughs> words. <laughs> Shoot more does. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, now everyone knows. Now, 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 15 now, times. So. Yeah, now everyone knows why Sam's going to use an extra 25 pounds per acre when a rye. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so 12 acres of soybeans wiped out. Um, now that's good. But I think that brings up a really good point for for everybody's farm and and for um, you know, what what do you want? Well, of course. I mean, who has who hasn't watched deer hunting shows? I think there there's it's been romanticized to sit in a box blind over a thirty acre soybean field and you know have snow falling and and shoot a big deer with smoke bowl. I mean, I think it's it's all. I mean, it would be awesome. But most people in most of the Midwest, unless you're managing a massive farm. Um, probably don't have that that type of situation so to me what well obviously um i'm biased but i think highly diverse mixes in general are going to be really good for late season where i would want to shoot a shoot a buck um well why is that well of course because like sam said the attractiveness of late season high quality brassicas is is good um but also the fact that these highly diverse mixes like with carbon load, but even if you had somebody else's or did your own, what are you getting? Well, you're getting better browsability. So your plots can handle more browse. So you're actually going to have food in that field come late season so that you're actually going to have a higher likelihood of attracting that mature buck. I think that sometimes gets overlooked, right? A guy, um, and we've all fallen for it, Sam. I, I did it, gosh, I don't know how many years ago now, but you know, I had a half acre and an acre field and I thought I'm having standing soybeans. And mm-hmm. I had it in my mind and it's like, that just isn't realistic, you know? And I mean, I grew, I mean, the soybeans look good, but by the time muzzleloader season came, they were gone, you know, they were tore up. So I think that that's where for me, for a large majority of people listening to this podcast, you know, are really should consider, consider that highly diverse, good quality fall blend because you're going to handle a lot of browse in a small area if especially like we use forage quality brassicas so it's not like a where you just have the top nipped and then it's gone you know they're going to continue to try to produce just like they would for cows they have any type of um, pressure off of them they're going to continue to try to grow and produce tonnage so by time late season comes you keep having food for the deer Um, and even if it's down to I mean, shoot, I sent you guys pictures, but I mean, I had pictures. Tolerance, even at fairway green level, it's still. It's still, I mean, how many pictures I send last, I don't know, Ohio season is like 18 months long, but it's like, (laughs) it it was like. And I still can't kill anything. (laughs) 18 months long, literally. I mean, it's like insane. And I, I think that it was end of January and there's seven, eight, nine deer in those fields and it's like what are they even eating you know but they're still those brassicas are trying to regrow on a sunny day in january all you know that rye all of those different things are trying to pop and those deer keep coming to it and keep coming to it and i mean i had mature bucks that captain hook buck he shed we found a shed it was just hell it wasn't 100 yards from somewhere some of those pictures he's five and a half year old deer and he's not going to set any records for score or anything like that but i mean he still was coming into that field and um you know that was really late season like i said that was in, in january um 
you know, and uh, yeah, we had a lot of good encounters with that that deer um, and several others. So to me, I think in uh, diversity is is key, um, not only to soil health, but I think also from an attractiveness standpoint, um, we, we we definitely seem to to have that as a, a real good benefit um, in the mixes. So Brian, I know you had a question next, but I think I'm going to quickly shift because Al's answering this other question as well, real quick from Josh Pagel. Um, Josh Pagel asked best way to plant carbon load into a heavily browsed nitro boost plot. So he, he planted nitro boost it's browsed to hell, which makes sense. Deer love this stuff. It won't crimp. Well, do you spray? Do you mow? How do you handle the mental gymnastics of not having a mature? Here's another question. So first of all, how do you plant carbon load into a heavily browsed plot of Nitro Boost? And then second, Sam, Brian, how do you handle the mental gymnastics of not having a mature buck to target for the upcoming fall? That's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother deal, Josh. The so first can, one, the first I'll, one, Al, talk on that. Yeah. So I mean, if you're not tilling, so this this goes into I always, I, mean, I don't know how many people I talk to a day, but I would say it's up to the grower, right? It's what are your goals as the grower? So if you say, I don't want to use herbicide, well, then I'm going to say, okay, well, uh, what tools do you have, right? Do you have mowing? Do you have a, a disc? Do you have a tiller? Um, and let's talk about some of those other options. If you're open to using herbicide and don't, you know, if you're, you're following the label instructions and, and stuff like that, well, then you're, you're, you're fine. Um, so to me, I would say, probably spray, broadcast, and then roll, mow. Um, that would be my opinion on that. Um, if you wanted to do a real light disking, I mean, keep the, the blades um, almost straight. You could seed and lightly disk it in. If you didn't want to use herbicide, use that as a termination method. So I think there's a, quite a few ways you could go about that. You could definitely, as we talked about earlier, you could seed and mow if you don't want to use herbicide. Um, if you do want to use herbicide, you want to spray it, let it dry, seed back, and then come back a day later before that seed is going to germinate. Although we had one guy, his seed germinated in two days, so just be careful. But you could pack or mow it then. You know, you could pack it the same day if you wanted to mow. I would say just give it enough time because you don't want to let that herbicide get down into the root, you know, root system. But um, those are just a few different ways. I talked about, you know, Tim was one of our customers in Southeastern Ohio and uh, just a great freaking amazing guy, great guy, good friend now. And, uh, and he just, he doesn't want to use herbicide on his farm. So we're coming up with plans to, well, what works for you, right? So he's doing, you know, reduced tillage. Now he had such a good nitro boost stand because he did a little bit of tillage, but he reduced it. And he also increased his seeding rate. So he has like no weeds in his field. It's just like, belly high nitro boost. So now he's either, we were texting back and forth, but he's going to either seed into it and mow it off at like eight inches just to kind of put a covering down before rain, or um, he's going to roll it off. So, you know, we talked about a few different options, but he's probably not going to have to till again because it looks so darn good. And there's such little weed competition. He's just going to seed that carbon load into it and uh, mow it or roll it off. So uh, a few different ways to, to skin a cat there. Good advice, Al. I appreciate that. And Brian, are you drinking a bushlight peach? Yes, sir. I, saw, I thought I saw that. I thought I saw that. How are you liking those? I can have one or two. They're uh, they're they're pretty nice, especially like Sam was talking about this hot weather. 
are pretty refreshing this yeah. time of year, but I couldn't drink a whole pile of them. I'm with you. And, and sorry to get sidetracked there, guys. I just, I thought I saw that. I had to ask. Um, and so to Josh's second question, how do you handle the mental gymnastics of not having a mature deer to target for the upcoming fall? Uh, what would you guys have to, to say to that? I guess my, my first quick thing would be, I like shooting does too. Um, yeah. But what, what else would you guys do? I mean, well, it depends. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say it, it sucks to not have, the shooter you expect on camera or, you know, mm -hmm. you look forward to it this. Happens, so What's that? It happens though, right? Like, it we happens, all you know, and uh, everyone's been there and, you know, my first thing I was going to say was if you're, if your property's overpopulated with does, let's get after the doe harvest. Second of all, I, I feel like you can look at your crop of bucks and, and pick out, you know, okay, maybe none of these are what I consider a trophy shooter, but, Maybe there's some older ones that have been sticking around for a while that don't weren't blessed genetically and uh, and treat that like your trophy for the year. Um, you know, if, and if, even if they're not old enough, I mean, I know it's sacrilegious to say shoot a two and a half or a three and a half, depending on where you're from. But if you if you let's say you have five, three and a half year olds, you got two 10 pointers. Let's lay off of those. You got two eight pointers. OK, let's wait and see. Then you got this three year old six pointer. You know, let's uh, let's eliminate him from the herd, not genetically, not for genetic reasons, but that makes room for another buck to take his place. And you got a, you know, 20 percent chance, 30 percent chance of that being a 10 pointer next year. Who knows? So, right. um, you know, you got to you got to kind of make lemonade out of lemons at that point, um, you know, short of finding a different place to hunt or, you know, something like that. But if you're stuck on one spot and you're stuck with this deer herd, a few things to make it a little bit more fun for you and not feel like a wasted season. That's. That's what I would say. Brian? Yeah, so uh, I think you covered a lot of the points I was going to make. Uh, one additional one, just have more places to go, whether you find a piece of public by your house or you go out and knock on some doors. I was just at the uh, Mobile Hunter Roadshow talking to guys like Mike Perry, who's been on our show before, uh, Ryan Glitzky. All those guys have multiple, multiple properties to hunt. And that gives you a couple of advantages, not only if you find yourself without a mature buck, but even if you have a mature buck on your 40 acres or whatever small property you have, you can't hunt that all the time. You can't be in there being aggressive on a small piece of property. So branch out, go after some other deer and some other properties if you blow one out, you got a couple other properties in your back pocket and uh, keep it fun. But to Sam's point, we all get wrapped up on scores and big bucks and there's nothing wrong with that. If you're if you're at a point in your life where you want to shoot mature bucks of a certain score, that's your right to do that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But there's also nothing wrong with, like Sam said, you know, take take one of the older ones out, take one of the smaller ones out, have fun, make it fun. I I've put a lot of pressure on myself the last handful of years and some days it wasn't fun and I had to reset and you just have to keep that in mind. Cause if you're not having fun doing this, it's what the heck are you out there doing? You know, expanding on keeping it fun. Um, you know, there's always opportunities to take new people hunting, young people hunting that would be tickled to death with a deer that you don't get excited about. You know, if you got a, you know, a smaller deer or, you know, one that's not, not genetically gifted, like I said, 
somebody would be tickled to death with that. So introduce somebody else or, or bring a young hunter along and, and make that your goal for the season, you know, instead of getting a trophy. So probably not the answer you want to hear, but Hey, it's, it's what you got to go to sometimes. I'm, I'm extremely satisfied with those answers. Uh, yeah. Al, how about you? Anything else? I mean, pretty similar, honestly. Yeah. I think getting as many places as you can to hunt, um, you know, I, I think that can help a lot. I think um, I remember one year I had a, about three years ago, I ended up killing that buck opening day and it was awesome. And I remember being like, oh man, I don't know. Cause I killed it on a permission property. And I was talking with Danny and Zach, who you've had, you guys have had on the, the podcast before. And um, both are real good deer hunters, um, pretty much automatic, you know, when it comes to shooting um, big deer. And I forget, I think it was Danny. And he, he said something like, dude, it's all right to give the farm a break for a year. And it was just like, it was so profound. I was like, yeah, you're right. You know what? I'm going to shoot that buck. And then it was like weird because I tagged out the whole season, but then it was also so fun because I got to try to get my cousin on a deer or, you know, we got my, uh, my younger cousin, his first deer and just things like that. So kind of going to what Sam was saying, um, you know, every year, depending on the size of the property and all that, that varies. Right. But every single year, year in and year out, um, can be hard. The other thing is like, don't give up because if they're not there right now, doesn't mean that they're not going to be there November 3rd or late season. If you have the food. So if you're doing habitat improvements, whether it's 10 acres or a thousand acres, um, you know, keep running cameras. You know, if you don't have a deer that you're crazy about, well, take that for as a time to say, you know what, I'm going to go in, I'm going to move cameras to some places I haven't normally had camera. Like, try something different because what do you have to lose? You don't really have a buck that's on there, you know, that's getting you excited. So get in and make a mock scrape, get in and move a camera, you know, move a cell camera to an Oak Ridge. You've never had a camera on before. And if you only get three pictures a week, it's like, well, I guess they ain't using that trail too much. Like try some different things in order to try to say, you know, where are these deer hanging out? Um, and I think you'll enjoy that too. And just, you'll learn your property better again, whether it's 10 acres or 500 acres, there's always something more that you can learn and pick up. So that would be my tip. Um, obviously, finding more places, that takes time and stuff. But there's, um, like Brian said, even public spots can be really, really good. You just have to sometimes um, get a little creative as, as far as your access goes and, and timing and whatnot. Yeah, that's a great point. Man, you guys make me proud. I'm proud to say I am friends with all three of you. And you answered that question beautifully. Well done. I couldn't agree more on all those points. And here comes a curveball. All right. So last one, Noah Hines, big podcast follower, loyal listener, badass dude. My neighbors are just finishing up a 20 acre clear cut coming all the way to my border of my property. What should I expect in the coming years as far as deer movement? What should I focus on to bring movement through my property for the next few years? I know we're, you know, there's a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. Um, but with with a 20 acre clear cut next door, what should I expect in the coming years as far as deer movement and bring the movement to me? Off the bat, my thought is 
the first year might be a little tough with a wide open, no cover. That's the first thing that's coming to my mind is just, you know, you can't control your neighbors. That's how it is. Yeah, so, so we have to juke and, and pivot and figure this out. In a couple of years, hopefully, depending on what type of, of woodlot it is, you'll have, you know, a real nice, beautiful food cover filled thicket. Um, and wh- what are you guys thinking on that so far? Well, there's going to be a lot of cover in like three to five years down the road. Like you said, the first couple of years, he's probably not really going to have to worry about his neighbor having a big hole in the timber. Right. So just something, but that gives him time to plan for those next three years. You want to make sure your covers is the best it can be. You want to have as much food as you can and uh, just take advantage of that with the cover being up against your property. Treat that as a bedding area or a travel corridor and build off of that. Try to pull those deer out of that thicket onto your property with food, improved travel corridors, wildlife cuts, water holes, mock scrapes, the whole the whole gamut that we talk about. Well said. Al, Sam, anything to add with the clear cut next door? All I'll tell you is I have a little experience in hunting with, with some clear cuts around. Um, Couple. Yeah. And I will say the biggest learning curve, which everybody preaches it, but when that timber starts to come back and it starts to get really thick and nasty, you educate a deer, it's, it will hole up in there like a rabbit. Um and I think that that's something that I would really focus on is try to, you know, draw those deer in with food, um, use cameras for your intel. And re- I mean, really, really, really focus. I mean, we always want to focus on pressure, but if you have 20 acre clear cut next door, that's not being hunted and you go in there every afternoon and kick three deer off your field, or it's not going to take long to get those deer to become nocturnal. Um, and I mean, I, I've seen it on a decent sized farm, um, next to a really large clear cut, um, where it can seem like deer almost vanish after even say like the first day of rifle season, we have like almost nobody hunting. Um, and it's just the sounds, the traffic, all of those things. And it's like, where those deer go and they will hole up in those clear cuts. So it's like the greatest thing in the world because you hold deer you hopefully can get age on deer all of those things but just keep that in mind is your access needs to be even better because like brian says they're probably going to bed in there in the next three to five years in some point a buck will probably find a high spot in there but they're going to be in there so yeah you can increase your openings and things like that but you also don't want them every time they get up out of their bed and come over to you to eat feel like holy cow i'm getting chased out of here I'm just going to stay over here because there's a lot of food in those clear cuts and there's going to be for a long time. So that's my two cents is just even be that more focused on access and, and pressuring on your property. Al, how big is the clear cut by you? It's ginormous, huh? The one by itself is uh, about half a square mile. So like 330 some odd acres. And then there was like another, I added it up one time within a square mile, there was 
like over a thousand acres of, I mean, cut to the ground timber. Wow. Yeah. And how many years do you think that that takes for that to regenerate to where it's waist high, chest high on a on a on us? I mean, it depends on your your species that are in there, right? But I mean, a lot of your your softer trees are going to jump jump out of your, your maples, things like that. Especially if there's not a fire run through there, which in Ohio it's very difficult to do um, fire, especially at that scale. So I would say at like the five to seven year mark, you're probably looking at like chest height. Um, but I mean, we have some cuts around us that are probably getting close to that 10 year mark. And most people, uh, it doesn't get, it's not really good anymore. I'll tell you what, I mean, it's thicker than hell. And is there a ton of, is there optimal food there? No, but the trails going back in there onto these ridges to where deer can bed, it's, I mean, let's put it this way. When we were running beagles in the winter, um, the dogs wanted to be over in some of that stuff. I mean, just chase, chasing rabbits because that's how thick it is still. And some of that's 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimate security, right? I mean, you that buck just goes and parks himself in the middle of a 330 acre clear cut and uh, doesn't see a human unless it wants to at that point. Right. Well, what, I mean, what human do you know that's going to walk through that? You know, like we have, we have Aspen up here that'll get that tall in two, three, four years. Yeah. You know? And like, who's going through that? Well, especially when you add in the topography, right? So that's one of the questions we could ask, you know, Noah is like, well, what's the topography of that clear cut? Because it's yeah. totally flat. Um, you, you know, you, it might be more likely, I mean, it's 20 acres, right? It's not 3000, but it's, if it's just totally flat with no topography, you probably going to hold a lot of does in there. Um, but if you have some topography and things like that, it could be really good. I mean, you could have some areas where, where bucks are wanting to bed and, and come off um, into your property, but again, they're not going to do that, especially mature buck if they're feeling harassed. So, um, I think that goes back to that access and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would just say you got to look at the silver lining in the situation and say that in three to five years, you'll have a 20 acre sanctuary right next to you plan accordingly and start right now trying to figure out how you're going to make a killer stand site when they exit that. So, got to think about your your wind that you would be hunting that on away from the the sanctuary obviously and then stack some some type of food and you know if, if you got the opportunity you have a few years where you'd start planting some mass trees and you know you got a few years before it's really going to be needed you know um but just trying to turn this around as an opportunity for yourself is the best way i could think of it you know it's, it's going to suck for a couple of years it's going to be a parking lot for two years basically but um start now and and cash in so great answers yeah. boys sam I, I love your optimistic outlook there buddy Heck yeah, yeah i mean I, I think we do need to like to to bring sam's point home it is literally the best thing that could happen for the whitetail in your neighborhood is to yep. have those type of things occur so um i don't want to like yeah the hunting aspect but I mean, you're going to probably see even at only a 20 acre cut being done, you'll probably see in the next three to five years you go, man, where did all these deer come from? Yeah. This is one of those situations we we're talking about earlier with food plots, right? Have those exclusion fits up. You can go, how come all my food plots are getting ate to the ground? There was a change in neighborhood, right? And you're holding more deer than they are. They maybe they were previously were, were laying up in, you know, open timber. So, I mean, it is absolutely going to impact you in a positive way um as long as like you do what sam said you know start planning now and um get ready for the good times ahead 
Amen. I mean, where we're, we're at up here at the Northern 70, like there's, there aren't cornfields, it's clear cuts and hunting up North, you know, during rifle season on state land, mostly all of my life. Um, that's the food source up here, food and cover security, all of it. And a lot of guys might overlook that and, and look for a big ridge where they can see 300 yards, all directions. That's cool too, but not for the same reason up here. When you get these these clear cuts, um, to me that rings a dinner bell, a cover bell, all of the above. And to be set up on that, if my property is next to that, like you guys said, set up maybe some mass trees, bringing apples in in a couple of years. There's probably not any apples out there, and if there were, they were clear cut. So like bring them, you know, be take advantage of all of the lemons you were given to make lemonade, like Sam said. So I like that. Great answers, boys. Gosh dang, guys are decent. <laughs> well, I'm going to wrap this up with the rapid fire questions. Um, I don't think I've asked any of you the rapid fire questions. Brian, have I asked you? No. No. So this has been an awesome podcast. Anything else before we get into these that you guys want to hit? Yeah, you asked me before, so I don't need to go on that again. Nobody wants to okay. hear it anymore. Thanks, Sam. So right, we'll do Sam and Brian then anything else though that we missed. I know Al, we're going to be talking on here soon. We got some new vitalized products coming out. We're going to, we're going to hit that real soon. We're just waiting for the day. But yeah. besides that, um, anything else you guys want to hit? We didn't even talk about I, the hunt this fall or anything next. So maybe we should do that again in a month. I just want to say thanks for having me on again. It's always fun getting together with you guys. So time is uh, it's getting to the point where it's, food plot time it's velvet time it's time to start getting after it so um put away the swimming pools and the swimming suits and all that and let's get after it so excited for what what the year has to has to come yeah i'm seven weeks from the uh pa season opening in this unit here and, seven and weeks got me fired up when you said summer's over last week so yeah in yeah. your mind anyways it is yeah it's uh Al and I were just talking about that. We're we're both fired up and hoping not to get burned out too fast, but we're enjoying it now. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, we have to do it. We have to do it. Sam, your plans this fall, hunting plans, real quick. Brian, Al, we're gonna hit all all of us real quick. I mean, it's it's the same as every year. I don't I don't have a buck that's under my skin like I do did the last two years. Um so I'm just kind of seeing what, who shows, shows up and, and where they're at and, and trying to shoot the most mature deer possible. I'm hoping a slammer shows up, but so far it hasn't. You know, it's just been, and been it's a couple solid deer. What's that? It's, it's early. It's early. And, you know, my, my farm really turns on when that velvet starts to shed. Um, so I'm not getting concerned or not going to make any decisions till about mid-September. Then we'll really narrow down the hit list. But, you know, I've got my uh, my nephew who's now 11 years old who's – getting more into archery and I'm hoping to get him out in the, in the blind. He sat with me a bunch of times and um, Brian got to meet him last year and he started a YouTube channel called bucks and bobbers. So if anybody out there wants to go and show some support for a young avid hunter, I was going to say, uh, you have to plug him. You have oh, to yeah. Him. He would love some subscribers. I mean, bucks and bobbers, bucks and bobbers. It's pretty, pretty great stuff. So trying to get him his first year. We'll see if he gets out there. Um, you. you know, other than that, it's, it's, Status quo, pretty much. We'll see how it goes. We got a bunch of new new setups this year. We put up a couple of new ladder stands and a and a new elevated blind. Um, so we're just kind of excited and looking forward to what what's to come. But nothing nothing earth shattering here. 
Yeah, until you sent us that picture, that 168. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. All right, Brian, enough enough out of a big butt killer over here. What do you got? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm really enjoying this year. Um, as you guys know, I've bounced around on a lot of properties since I sold my last farm. Um, as long as I don't screw things up with Albert here, I, I think I have a home for a while and it's it's going to be fun learning this property i've already learned a ton in the past eight nine months however how i'm ready it's been since uh he invited me down there we we picked up a lease next to his farm and we're working on that and i'm helping him on his farm and it's just refreshing to not be the lone guy out there you know you guys know how many days sam just did it today you go out to the farm by yourself and it's you just you feel so overwhelmed and you don't have anybody to bounce any ideas off of and it's just, it's been great having somebody to share all this with, uh, with a like mind and uh, just having fun again. And I, I think we're going to have, you know, regardless of whatever we kill there, but there's, it, it's going to be fun. And um, as far as other things outside of Ohio, uh, I've got spots around my, my house here in Southwest Pennsylvania. Uh, just got started getting cameras out. I've, I've heard, some neighbors and some coworkers talking about some decent bucks. That's usually how it starts. And then I start keying in on some of the places I have permission to try to figure these bucks out around here in the suburbs. Um, I've got a uh, late December, right before Christmas hunt in Texas planned, turned down a bunch of hunts. Uh, I was supposed to go to Illinois. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Um, might do that public land challenge in Michigan with you guys. So that'll be a lot of fun. Just, just to see you guys and hang out with you and hunt with you. So that, that's about it though. I'm, I'm going to try to stay loose and, and enjoy the season and not put too much pressure on myself. Very cool. Very cool. Al, how about you? Yeah, I don't really have anything special planned. I mean, I'm going to get a hunt and Try to kill something that's over four and a half years old and shoot some does. I mean, I just, Heck yeah, I keep it pretty simple. I don't have, I mean, I have a lot of, uh, Brian gets tired of me pulling up pictures from like, oh, that, here's the deer, when, you know, he was a fawn, like, you know, pulling up <laughs> pictures for like three, four years ago. And, and here's the, look here, look, uh, you know, and um, so I have quite a few deer that I know, but I'm not. I, I don't have the time to be like, I'm going to kill that deer, you know? So for me, I'm just going to enjoy it. And I mean, we got a good plan, have a ton of food on the farm, going to shoot some does um, and, and hopefully get a shot at a, at a nice buck. And if it's not on the farm, you know, it's on uh, one of the permission spots I got and uh, hunt with a good buddy of mine, Tyler. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really my plan. Keep it, keep it simple and just enjoy it. And, and hopefully uh, shoot a couple deer. Heck yeah, boys. I love how nonchalant we are. Talk to talk to us in the middle of October, late October, and probably <laughs> pulling our hair out. See how loose we are. Yeah. 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 We all think we're going to be loose. We'll see. Jared, Jared asked me, he said, are you taking the bow or the gun to Texas in December? I said, that depends on how the season goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think I'm going to join you, Brian, on that Texas one. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to. I, yeah. It'll be fun. Oh, we no, can I'm, shoot I'm, some hogs too. I am going to. I just have to make sure I get it, you know, passed by the other one, the admiral. Yep. There. yep. So I understand. Yeah. Believe me. Close to Christmas for the kids, but I'm planning on going. So that'll be. How about uh, you, Jared? Any plans this year? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So not I'm I'm kind of up in the air a bunch. Uh I really I really want I like hunting Michigan. It, it's as weird as that sounds. Um I like hunting close to home with my kids, family, friends around. It's, it's the more older I get, the weirder. I don't know, man. It's it's weird, but so first uh weekend in october i think we're gonna do that public land challenge up with the deer hunter podcast guys up in uh, northern michigan that's gonna kick my butt um brian you too what is that tell tell us about that so we got invited to a a weekend with um some really good bow hunters in northern michigan um uh, other podcasters uh latitude outdoors different guys who are who are really into this they did a camp last year and it's just really it's just it's really awesome it's really up north michigan type setting kind of where the northern 70s is at further away though in a different direction but more of a public land challenge come up tent camp scout hunt cool. see, what you, see what you can pull off yeah. so that that was a an invitation that was given to me by kevin over at deer hunter podcast for the hp and, and vitalized guys and i'm thinking um i'm gonna try that and then I guess what we're rolling next would be would be hunting here in Michigan, you know, throughout. I don't have another parcel of my own yet. So I, I joined a, another lease with some guys I mentioned earlier, a bunch of good dudes. I'm going to hunt with them. It'll be a great time. I have another piece I can hunt for some does, some kids stuff near me. Um, I'm going to go back to Illinois with my boy Jordan for second gun season. That's later in November. Brian and I, we, we did some work on a friend of ours property, a different spot in Ohio. Um, and I might, I might hunt there as well. So opportunities are abound. I think uh, yeah. right now it's just on figuring out, you know, what time allows and really probably already overbooked myself to this point. So just, I love hunting with my kids, bringing them out there, shooting some deer. I love to get a good deer this year. Again, I shot two and and was that twenty one. I shot a bunch of does last year, so now I'm I'm kind of fired back up for a nice buck. So that's kind of where it's at, boys. Um, a lot of work to do before season starts, but I appreciate you guys getting on here. And I'm gonna hit Brian and Sam real quick with the uh, rapid fire questions. If you guys are ready, I'm gonna go Sam, Brian, Sam, Brian, Sam, Brian. All right. All right. Favorite yeah. beverage, Sam. Mountain Dew. Ryan. Iced tea. Favorite venison recipe, Sam? Uh, Italian meatballs. Mm. B? Although I do have to put a plug in for Al's uh, venison soup. Oh, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, Seared backstraps. Fixed blades or mechanicals? mechanicals currently till i'm burned <laughs> we're gonna burn you <laughs> fixed um preset stands preset blinds go on mobile preset stands are my favorite we do have a lot of elevated blinds um that my dad loves to hunt out of but when it gets cold those are great too all of the above but i i like being mobile when i'm not being lazy who I like water? being lazy. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bring bring a kid along too, or get some rain in the forecast, a little bit of snow. Yeah, right. some wind. 
Um, food, water, or cover? What's most important in your farm, Sam? Um, cover. Cover. Favorite habitat tool these days, Sam? I will say an ATV sprayer. I feel like that you can do so much with it. Very effective. B? Chainsaw. And your favorite tree. Sam, we probably asked you guys. You probably asked you and B both this before, but maybe things have changed. Who knows? No, you haven't actually. I mean, Are you sure. I can't yeah, I'm positive. I can go three different ways with this one. I mean, white oak is is everyone's favorite, but it's so boring really? to say that. Yeah. Um, walnut just made me a whole bunch of money on my last logging harvest, so that's pretty high on my list. But for a habitat perspective, a uh, I think crab apples are are climbing my list. I like that. I like evergreens, thick, pretty Fraser fir type, just whether it's in a, in a Christmas tree stand or out in the middle of a field with some snow on it. I just, I've always loved thick fir pine trees. I was talking with a guy today about how setting stands in a pine is the best thing ever. Um, Albert, what do you have to say about your cohorts on this podcast? Do you agree or fully disagree with everything that we said tonight? Agree with everything. Wow. True politics. I fully agree with everything. He just wants to go to bed. Yeah, honestly, I thought this was over a half hour ago. Uh, (laughs) No, no, there's great time as always. Great time as always. uh, Yeah, it's always fun getting together with you. I mean, we always have fun texting, but it's always fun to get on Zoom and uh, chat with you guys. Well, boys, thank you very much. Appreciate you all. Um, Too bad David couldn't make it. We'll get him on the next one. And, uh, yeah, over and out. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. You guys take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the Habitat Podcast. Guys, we will be back with another great episode next week. I just want to say, once again, how grateful we are for the listenership we have and the, the loyal listeners you guys have been and supporters of the podcast. For those of you who want to support further, we have free decals being sent out to those who leave us great reviews. Scroll down, hit the link to leave a great review, and then email me info at habitatpodcast.com. I'll get you a free five-inch decal in the mail right away. Guys, I want to thank our sponsors. Vitalize Seed Company at vitalizeseed.com. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Packer Max Cultipackers, Morse Nursery, Acres.com, Downburst Cedars, First Light, United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Mm-hmm.